to the pursuit of wealth, where the H is surrounded by abundance. Join us as we navigate and explore health and wellness topics from mindset to deep health to intentions and everything in between. We welcome you with open hearts, open minds, and with the hopeful intention that you'll become a tiny bit better than yesterday. Welcome to the Pursuit of Wealth, where the H is surrounded by abundance. And we want to thank you for joining us today. Today, as we talked about in our previous episode, this is the start of our second season. So we thank you for joining us along our our very wonderful and and growth-minded first season of the Pursuit of Wealth. And now as as we enter the second season, as we had mentioned in our previous podcast, we're just changing things up a little bit. And we're going to be doing a lot more interviews because we find that this could be a great place for all of us to grow individually and and together collectively in in the tribe that we are in, right? We kind of like that word, don't we? So that all being said, we wanted to spend um, a couple episodes in the pursuit of us. And so what does that mean? Well, that means that you're going to get to be a little bit more familiar and a little bit more intimate here with your hosts, myself, Julie, and Johnny. And because Johnny always follows direction and is always on top of things, he's going first today. So we welcome Johnny to the, to the hot seat. Not so much. It's not that hot. The tepid seat because you're wearing a sweatshirt. That's right. It's hot where I am. But yeah, so let's get to know Johnny Klein a little bit more. So Johnny is in his early career as a deep health nutrition coach and TEFL teacher guiding clients through their nutrition work-life balance, purpose discovery, and being more health conscious. He has trained with Precision Nutrition, along with studying in-depth on the topic of nutrition and creating mindfulness to work in his life. He is a host on the Pursuit of Wealth podcast, as this is the pursuit of us, right? And he lives in Vietnam with his wife. So we welcome you, Johnny, as our host, but not today. Today, you. you are the interviewee. All right. I have a question for you. It's burning. It's been burning for a long time. I've had that. with desire? Yeah. Well, that's a different topic, but, but the other burn is being treated topically, but this other burn is (laughs) what exactly brought you to Vietnam? That is just something I've always been intrigued with. So, so please enlighten us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, everyone. And it's great to be on as the interviewee today. And I don't always do this, but for for you guys. I graduated university in 2017. I had a bachelor's degree and a religious studies double major with that. I thought it would carry me much further than what I later found out. I wanted to be in an unconventional unconventional, uh, reputation position and whatnot. I knew that I wanted to do something with service. So I graduated and... I was working at UPS at the time. I wasn't too healthy, but I probably saw myself as a little healthier than most. So I finished and I knew that I needed to travel. The past two years previous, I started to do cross-country trips to the East Coast, mostly and around the Midwest. It's kind of my defining own individual nature. I didn't have many personal connections 
I had a supportive family, but they were not pushing me to be anything great. Uh, I'll be honest, throughout my entire university career, I had very few personal connections, no friends. It was just, it was an acceptance that I need to push my own level to be the greatest that I can be. And a part of that was acceptance and awareness. And also being fascinated with Buddhism and another culture in the world, wherever that would be. Why do I say this? Because two weeks or three weeks after, on June 1st, my dad previously invited me to Southeast Asia. I haven't seen him for about 10 years, but we connected. We have always kept in contact, video calls, calling, and whatnot. He's an adventurous man, I'd have to say, in more ways than just travel. We won't get into that. But he invited me to go on a cross-country trip beginning in Thailand. That was in 2017. So I flew to Thailand, to Bangkok, and we spent that next month traveling around Southeast Asia. We spent about a week or so in Thailand, going from Bangkok to Chiang Mai to Pattaya, a very different part of the world. Um, if you've ever been, I mean, on the wonderful side, filled with Buddhist architecture, temples, beautiful beaches. Um, and also what I didn't expect is that there were a lot of girls. This is where, yeah. In that part of the world, I did not know what to expect. A lot of girls were walking around. They were asking things that I just had never been asked before or never been asked things to do. Um, <laughs> and so that made me really realize on one sense what values really stood for, what I was comfortable with doing and what I was not doing. It was that summer when I could really express myself, but also understand my own thoughts. My father was doing his whole adventurous thing, and that was my first international experience of my own um, acceptance of who I am. I was outside of Omaha, I was outside of the United States, and that just became a, a life mindset change shift, whatever you want to call it for myself. From Thailand to Laos to Cambodia, and then finally to Vietnam. Vietnam was our last destination. Now I didn't know that he had a lovely family until about a week before we actually landed in Vietnam. <laughs> it was shocking to me. I was kind of delaying opening up and asking about it, but I kind of suspected that he did. And he was honest with me. He told me that he has a family in Vietnam and that I would see them. And I just was, was open to it. I didn't want to be too judgmental. And so that's where we went to in Vietnam was this small village called Galat. And well, outside somewhere in Vietnam and I didn't know anything about it. Later on, we were, I was invited to a wedding with one, one of the friends. And that was also my first wedding. The first wedding that I went to was a Vietnamese wedding with 500 people at this wedding. 
I had no idea what the, what it would be like. There was karaoke, there was music, there was dancing, there was drinking. So you fit right in. That. I never did any of that at all. <laughs> yes, uh, but I was smart enough to pack a suit jacket and a nice pair of pants because, hey, you have to be prepared for anything. But in Vietnam. In, right in Vietnam, that's right. At that wedding was when I met my later-to-be wife. I know this sounds like, an, <laughs> but it's true. It's my life. So she was sitting at the same table as I was. These tables, to give you an image, they're round. They fit about eight people around, and there's about 50 tables. So what are the odds of that, that the woman that later I fell in love with, she couldn't speak a lick of English at all, one in 50 tables at this random wedding. It was incredible. And a, a lot of people ask me, well, she didn't speak English, so why were you so attracted to her? It's like... Why not? <laughs> uh, what is love if it's not about communication? And what is communication if there's no connection? It's all a profile that fits together. So although she couldn't speak English then, there was just this emotional connection, this excitement that I've never, ever felt before. It was a smile. It was a touch. It was just excitement. Nothing sexual, not, nothing at all like that. Just an appreciation to be together. In the United States, I, I was always longing for some kind of connection, some kind of togetherness that I never got. As I mentioned to you, I grew up as a, an only child, single mom, and I had other brothers and sisters uh, around the country, but never, never close like that. And just this one day shifted my perspective. She invited me to karaoke after the wedding, just singing, singing random songs, a Vietnamese song. I was pushed in to sing. And I did it. It was an openness and an appreciation. After that, I thought it was just a one-off, just very fun time. It was excellent, but that stayed in my mind. And I thought that was, that was it. Well, just by a stroke of a few chances, there were a few more that I could meet her again and just to talk, to be with her and just, she could show me uh, like her house for her family and where she worked. She worked on top of a mountain, the mountain that we're at here. And I had to climb that damn mountain, which the first time was about two and a half hours. But that was my own dedication because I was so infatuated with getting to know this woman that couldn't speak a lick of English. Again, a deeper connection. I stayed in Vietnam for about another two weeks before my dad and, and I, uh, we all said our goodbyes. And it was a bonding experience between my father and I, but also on a deeper level that I don't think he, okay, he did not understand it because he was on his own level, I was on mine, but he didn't think that I would ever come back here or that I would actually have a relationship the thinking was that it was just a cute little fling thing. From my mind, I didn't know where I would be after that. I had to make a choice when I came back to the United States. It might've been just a texting, but after three months or so of actually getting to know, I was left with this division within me. 
at that time when I came back, I knew that I would not be living in Omaha, Nebraska anymore. I, I was done with that place. I lived there for 10 years and I knew it would either be Cleveland, Ohio, because I had an AmeriCorps position that I would accept, or it would be Colorado, because that's a place where I had family, I loved it, beautiful mountains, excellent um, adventurous things. <laughs> and the day that I came back, I was supposed to move to Ohio. I already, I didn't tell you this, but before I left to uh, see my dad in Thailand, I moved all of my shit, all of my stuff to Ohio because I was expecting that I would get a damn position. So it was all in storage. The day that I got back, they canceled my, canceled my position. They said I wasn't contacting them because I was flying. So they're like, well, we don't have a position for you. And uh, so good luck. Good luck with your search. I already signed forms, by the way. But so from Omaha to Ohio was 16 hours. Drove straight through. And then I just made the decision and drove to Colorado to see my sister. And that was a whole adventure of itself. Yeah. I love to see the Midwest and I had pit stops on the way back. But after, yes, so going through that year, I had a chance to get to know my sister a lot more, to be very personal and bonding with her because I never lived with her before. She's older than I am and she has her own family. But I didn't tell her until a few months later that I met a girl in Vietnam and that I was actually thinking maybe I could go back. I knew she wouldn't be comfortable with it at all. The only thing that was on my forefront was getting a job paying and being my own independent self to find out who I was in the real world. So I did that. I accepted a position uh, teaching math, tutoring math. Again, this is way before health stuff. It was more about survival and being independent. But I did that. So she was living in Colorado Springs, but I eventually accepted a job in Denver. I won't go into all of that because that would take too long. But it was about halfway through uh, into 2018 when I made my final decision that I would be moving to Vietnam, back to Vietnam. There was no sort of feeling, sort of drive ever in my life besides that one in Vietnam where I was going to. Now, I talked to my wife just about every day uh, during that time, mostly through texting. And finally, although I wasn't making much money, I saved every penny that I could. I was counting pennies, literally counting pennies, quarters, dimes, and dollars. Because one, if you're working in Denver, shit's already expensive for rent. So I had to live in an Airbnb with six to seven other people, which got hot, but I made some incredible friends and I had to make sacrifices. Number two, you're working for AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps, you don't make a lot. And they suggest that you donate blood to get some extra money, which I wasn't going to do because I didn't have, I, I didn't have an address. 
so I at least went, <laughs> went to the blood drive. They're like, uh, I put down my sister's address. They're like, oh, you live too far. You can't donate blood here. I was like, oh my God. Going through adventures like that. But it, it was great, you know. I, I lived near my grandfather. I went to all kinds of free festivals. I got a lot of my clothes, my t-shirts from volunteering at different events. Again, I, I love to do service. I'm in the service of others. That has been my mindset for a long time. I got my TEFL certification that summer as well, because that was the only way that I knew how to live abroad for a longer term was to teach English. So I did that. I got my TEFL online through a wonderful company. And then finally had enough money to pay for a ticket and fly to Vietnam at the end of, I'd say the middle to the end of August of 2018. And that's where life for me actually officially began to be comfortable. It wasn't no longer out of survival or still finding myself, sure, but it wasn't out of survival. It was about being accepted and, and finally accepting myself and having a new place and a new identity. See, all throughout my life, I've always been trying to find my identity because I'd never had that social support in me figuring out an identity to live by. Sure, in high school, I would do high school musicals and plays, and that would be kind of my outlay of becoming interested in new identities and learning and modeling, being in choir, being in bands. But this time was not about modeling anything else. It was more about me. Still having that curiosity, but asking less questions and trying to find more answers. And that's eventually what led me uh, to living in the city uh, in, in Hanoi, living and teaching for a year, and then coming back finally a year later to my wife's hometown where we got married in 2019. And then after that, really started to become more interested about health, about mindfulness, and about figuring the hell out of what my role is in society outside of just working, having the weekend for relaxation, and what family meant and how I can be a role in family. That's kind of where I am now in a nutshell. It's kind of a long-winded story, but that background is necessary. Very cool. And it's, you know, as someone who's moved internationally, I can certainly appreciate how life-changing that is. Mm. I, even though I'm much older, I kind of feel that way some days about Italy. So, so as I'm relating to your story, um, you started to get into health. What really started to make that connection for you? And what, what do you think is like your favorite area of health to be involved in? Yeah, of course. So that whole thing really solidified in 2020, once coronavirus hit. I began looking at pictures of myself for the last couple of years. I've always been self-conscious. And it kind of gave me the same answer of my hair. 
when I came back from Vietnam the first time and that whole Southeast Asia trip, I was looking at pictures of like, damn, I don't look good with all this, like hair falling out and, you know, I was young, so I shaved it off. Same thing with my weight. I was seeing myself um, gaining a lot of weight and the year that I was living in Hanoi and I was like, damn, I don't want to look like that. That's, yeah, that's disturbing. Um, so I, I just decided that I need to be healthier. I want to figure out what is thriving and what is quality of health. I didn't want to be sick. Um, and I didn't want to be in pain. I didn't want to accept that. And also, yeah, and for me, I wanted to understand a lot more about myself and how I can guide others. To not be to be healthier, but also to be happier, and so have that sort of marriage between what is purposeful to me, but what can be purposeful to others, and how can we grow in a sort of way? And for me, it was the final answer after a lot of purpose work and discovery and trying things out and not being successful at some things was nutrition and was health. Not so much of the exercise, but it was more about how to include things in our day-to-day -day lives and our mindfulness and our daily practices and our togetherness. That's what really sold me. That's what really sold me. That along with the coaching part of it through Mind Valley, that was my introduction to wellness. The, the whole wellness field was Mind Valley and all of the things that they offer from what is being healthy to how can we grow to be ultimate human beings, to be extraordinary as the CEO uh, vision calls it. That's great, Johnny. Thank you so much for that. And it's, it's so wonderful to hear um, your journey because I think that you know, especially for the three of us, right? But but I imagine most of the coaches in this world became coaches because of a personal reason, right? If you've done it before, if you've experienced it for whatever reason, you know, then we start to look inward and say, no, this is, I want to, I want to bring this to others. Like they have to, they don't have to, right? But I want to be as pure and as open-minded and, and share this information and, and this healthy way of living. And, and there's so much more out there with others. And it sounds like that's very much your story. Um, and now I wanted to ask you, you know, when you talk about, you know, mindfulness and nutrition and things like that, you also had mentioned um, a bit of a Buddhism philosophy that, yeah. that you have. So how do, how do those all intertwine with nutrition? Great question. It all connects because I believe that when we eat, it's our fuel. And we have to eat in a sort of way. Or, And when we talk about nutrition, by the way, when I say it, I don't only mean the food that we eat. When we come to the deep health part of it, the deep nutrition, that comes to the social relationships that we have, the environment that we're a part of, the food and nutrients that we eat, um, as well as the connection that we have to ourselves, to society, to our work that we do. 
So it's not, when I talk about that, it's not just eating. And all of that comes together for me in a most mindful way. If we do it with intention, if we do it with compassion, if we do it with gratitude, having gratitude to where our food and our resources, our energy is coming from and how we can, how can we budget that and give it to, that is all in one part Buddhism or at least a Buddhist type philosophy that I don't think is largely represented. Yes, we talk about the physical, this is what you should eat, this is the plan that you should be on, um, and this is the nutrients that you should be intaking, sure. But in my understanding, in my coming forward to it, that really sold me was, what is the energy? What is the sense that you bring to what you're taking in? And though I wouldn't say I'm completely a Buddhist, I do take a lot of those practices and ideas, as well as other philosophies. I mean, the oldest food system, science, we call it in the world, is Ayurveda. And that spans over 6,000 years ago in the food that we eat. But even for them, they partnered the marriage between you're eating your energy levels and the intention that you bring to it. And it's a scientific way of reading your energy level to what your body needs, not just on the physical level of solving your sickness or solving your hunger, solving your pain points, but to be thriving. And for me, any part of that is, is worth it. I'm always purpose-centered, and that was another point for me is if I'm going to eat from now on, and this was not a luxury that I had when I was in America because it was survival is because of money. But now I'm very pointed on where's my food coming from? What was the process to get that food to me? And how is that personally being a nutrient towards my body? towards my energy, towards my clarity in mind, towards my productivity. I didn't have that luxury then, but I do now, and it shouldn't be a luxury at all. But it's an unfortunate thing that's become of it. And it's crazy that it's often talked about that low to medium uh, income countries generally have worse health. At least that's what I was always taught. And then the countries with the most money generally have the best resources towards health and the best food. I didn't see that at all. It's so simple here. It's not a question of marketing. It's just a question of food and awareness. Mm -hmm. Having awareness is also a Buddhist idea. Awareness and acceptance, appreciation. I love it. No, I, I feel that way about food too, because of course here in Italy, Italy is known for its food, right? And when I go back to the States, the, it's kind of shocking to see how expensive food is relative to what it costs here and how processed and manipulated it is compared to other places. I mean, what, what do you think was the most marked difference between the US and Vietnam? I mean, what was, obviously you were there because you enjoyed the country, fell in love with your wife. Um, 
but was there was there something specific about Vietnam outside of a job or your wife that really drew you in that made you feel at home there? Well, you've talked about some spiritual things, but I'm just wondering if there was something that really kind of stands out. Yeah, of course. I would say, all things considered, it would be the simplicity. Since COVID, I've been here in the small village about two years. And when I thought about like the countryside in the United States, it's very far spread apart and it's not that social. In the United States, you know, I grew up in not the countryside, not the city, but the suburbs. And it wasn't very social, actually. A lot of people would stay in their houses. It would be an occasional hello. But here, my God, even in a small village, everyone's out having fun, enjoying themselves. They're walking, they're, they're eating well, they're together, together all the time. I mean, without COVID, every night, as we've talked about in our first season, there'd be karaoke singing just about every night. Sure, there'd be drinking as a part of it, which wasn't my scene, but it would be just community, community togetherness. And that for me was far different, far different than I saw. In the United States, it would be, and generally going out with your friends, and maybe around 11 or 12 at night, going to Taco Bell or having some fast food, going to B-dubs, maybe going to a concert, which that's one thing that I miss that Vietnam doesn't have much of or as much of, smaller scale. Those in festivals is what I love. But just that, that openness and eating is not like, it's not a struggle to, to, to buy food, to buy healthy food. It's easy. Um, you know, one thing that was different when I was living in Hanoi was that if you wake up early enough, I'd say between 5.30 and 6, you would see a lot of old couples dancing in the park. They'd be playing line dancing music. And that was great. And then I would remember this one lake that, that I went around, walked around, run around, however I was feeling that day. Right at about six o'clock, there'd be a whole line of people just meditating with like this same chant, buzzing music that got annoying, but just that act of getting up and doing, doing that activity every day. Sometimes people would be playing sports like badminton. I never saw that in, in the United States. And I, I, it was also a feeling that I had in Thailand as well was also that community and openness and local localness of it. That's what I wish one thing that America would bring and have more of. So Johnny, perhaps you can um, come visit here and bring that to us and, and dance in the streets. I'll dance with you. Bring it home. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. That's great. That's great. This Can't is so dance at all, but. That's okay. Do Does it matter? It, it's like. It's still a form of expression. Isn't it, it really doesn't. From what I've seen, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Now, let me ask you, um, you know, when we talk about, you know, this nutrition, this lifestyle and all of this, you know, can you, can you take us a little bit behind the scenes? Because I'm sure that 
that it's not, you know, a top of nine to five or anything like that. So what sort of work goes into, you know, everything that you have embodied and have done in, in spirit, mind and, and body and all of that? What kind of work goes into that? A lot of consistency. As uh, you and I've mentioned, I'm still in my early career. I mean, this has only been about a year, year and a half going. So I'm still trying to figure it out myself. But from what practices I've done is a lot of consistency. You really have to budget out your time from connecting with people and finding mentors and finding those that have been successful and learning from them a lot so that we can be building up and scaling our own practices. In the early career, there's a lot of nervous energy going on. Am I good enough? Am I enough? Do I have what it takes? Have I studied enough? Should I be doing more? And that's a division within the coaching world as well, is you should have your experience and you should have some coaching practices and just go forward with that. You're an action taker. There's the other side of it where there's a requirement or a feeling of a requirement to have certifications and trainings, degrees, to be going forward, to be feeling confident enough. And I've seen both sides, I've talked about, I've talked with people on both sides. And for me personally, I'm at a place, I'm finding the marriage between TEFL teaching, but also nutrition coaching and eventual holistic coaching for professionals, for college students, international students, and early career professionals and finding their purpose. And so for me, I do a lot of studying because that is the way that I connect with. I'm not saying everyone connects in that way, but that's the way that I do. So that's why I went through the precision nutrition course for level one so that I can gain that experience so that I can know the tools and techniques so that I can be with a proper program. They know what they're doing. There's no bullshit with it. They have excellent resources, a lot of support and a fantastic community where I could ask questions and be open with if there's something that I don't know. That's where I found a lot of wonderful nutrition coaches that are on here today, <laughs> including Julie and you, Tiffany. But alongside with that, uh, for me to really move forward, I need to be connected with the purpose side of it. And that purpose side of it is for ultimate growth and well-being. And having that not only be my work, but also my passion and the way that I can grow myself so that I don't cause my own burnout. And without causing burnout, I do my meditations uh, just about every day. I do try and work out, uh, maybe not as often as Julie or you, Tiffany, but I do try and work out three, four times a week whenever I can. And above all, eating well, eating mindfully, and being... <laughs> Being an asshole about my nutrition, I'll be frank with you. And that was not easy. When I first chose to give up rice for six or seven months, as well as a number of other salty snacks and, and sugary things, I was in the, 
I guess you could call it an addict or I guess you can call it like a comfort eater. I liked my snack cakes. I liked eating the instant noodles, but I had to be a hard ass and say, there's, there's a better way. And now looking at it, I have a much better option for myself. I, it's a requirement that I had to change. Um, and it, I'm, I'm still working at it. And everyone has their own feeling and their own choice, their own perspective. But for me, it comes with being a hard ass, if I can sum up. Yeah, that's true. Meditating so that I can separate my frustrations, my feelings, whether good or bad, with my own personal way going forward. And also finding a way to be connected, be connected with myself, with my family, with with my decisions or, or whatever have you. Cool. I love that consistency. It's one of my favorite words when it comes to coaching. Um, you said been done. <laughs> and asshole. For sure. Yeah. So one final question. <laughs> yeah. One final question, Johnny, before we wrap up. What's something interesting about you that not, maybe not everybody knows that you're willing to share? Something interesting about me? Something about you, your past, your philosophies, something that not everybody knows. That's a great question. I don't know if it's interesting, but I'm just at a place where I'm completely open I'm a vivid dreamer. <laughs> I, I have constant vivid dreams that honestly teaches me a lot about myself. That's um, really a cool thing because I know not a lot of people remember their dreams. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't journal them as much, but man, I tell you, when you get into it, it's, it's not tripping out like on, on psychedelics, but yeah. it is a pretty good experience. That's cool. Very cool. And I guess, yeah, being connected with nature, which is something that I hope we can all do and I can do a lot more because there's really something special to it. Yeah. That's where I'm driven most. Cool. Johnny, to that point, I just wanted to bring up real quick. Have you ever heard of Charlie Morey? Nope. Never he heard of him. Is, he is the pioneer of lucid dreaming. Well, maybe not the pioneer, but he has written a couple books about lucid dreaming and how to harness actually being aware that you're lucid dreaming and, and manifesting that into somewhat of a reality to heal, to do all sorts of things. He said he healed his eyes by lucid dreaming. I've um, actually read quite a bit of it and I sort of fell off trying to do it um, because it just, it was like, this is just not working. And that was just my own, you know, whatever. Um, but at some it's point, consistency I'm, word again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But there's a whole method and everything to actually become lucid within your dreams. And, and I'm just bringing that up because I find it to be such a fascinating thing. Um, but explore that a little bit more. Um, the guy's great. I, I follow him um, in, in all of his dream works and everything like that. So I, I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, cool. of course. I'll look him up. You know, I've done quite a bit of uh, practice this past year with visualization as well and working with those techniques. One sure. fantastic book that I recommend everyone check out um, is by the guy, I think his name is Robert Pujols. I think that's how you pronounce it, but he has two books, The Power of Visualization and Beyond Hypnosis. 
Those two are just fantastic. They've taught me a lot, not only about visualization, but also about the body and, and how it reacts in a certain way into defining our reality and defining who we are as human. So that's great. We should, um, we'll link those in the show notes, the, uh, the couple of resources that we had mentioned there um, for you all. But Johnny, this has been great. I mean, I felt like I knew you. Um, but now I realize you've really been holding back from me and from Julie. So mm-hmm. we'll have a different conversation about this after the podcast. Um, <laughs> but until then, you know, we just wanted to say thank you for being so open and vulnerable with us and, and sharing your story. I really, I feel a, a deeper connection with you. Um, I loved learning and, you know, about how you met your wife and how serendipitous love and life truly can be if you are open and aware of it. I mean, I think that that's wonderful. So give your wife a hug from me. Um, maybe from Julie too. I don't know. From me as well, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm a go. hugger. I'm a hugger. So there you go. So <laughs> give her a hug. Tell her that we're, you know, we're happy to, um, that she's in your life and, and in all of that. That's such a wonderful story. And, you know, thank you so much again for sharing. Um, as we mentioned, this is the pursuit of us. And so that was a great way to introduce us, right? as you, not as we, but as you. So thank you very much, Johnny. And um, we welcome you all to join us again next week as we continue the pursuit of us with the one and only Julie. You thought I was going to say me. <laughs> I almost was going to say me just to kind of throw you guys off, but we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to uh, put Julie in the hot seat and then I guess I got to go there too. So um, stay tuned for that. And then we have some great guests coming up and thank you so much for being a part of the pursuit of wealth. And as always, we hope that any of our conversations now today for the future will just help you be 1% better for yourself. This podcast was produced by Julie, Tiffany, and myself. Keep updated for the latest deep health, nutritious conversations. If you're already successful in the health and well-being industry, a coach, practitioner, trainer, and other related career passions with a thriving business and have an interesting story, we'd love to hear from you. 